I, I want to preface. I want to preface this morning's message. Uh, I think I need to, to give you a little background. If you're, if you're here for the first time or maybe the first time in a while, we, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. Yesterday I came uh, here to, uh, we were, as, as many of you might know, we were, our family was out of town uh, this past week. And uh, so I came in yesterday and planned to spend the day here uh, preparing uh, for Sunday. And I, I came in yesterday and, and sat in my office and, and finished, finished the message on Galatians 5, uh, 1 through 12. And I don't know how many of you know this, but I know many of you do. I, uh, I usually come into the auditorium, an empty auditorium, and I preach through the message. Uh, it it kind of helps it go from head to heart um, and, uh, and helps me know how much time I should uh, spend on certain portions and Yesterday, as I was standing right here and preaching to nobody, uh, where you are, I had a really hard time getting through the sermon. It was, it was as if there was a block in my mind. And uh, so I stopped and I just began to pray like, okay, Lord, uh, am I not depending enough on you? Is, Lord, what, what, what's going on? Am I trying to do this in my own strength? And I went back to the message and began to try to preach again from Galatians 5 and got the same. I just struggled. I couldn't, I couldn't even get through the sermon. And so I had, uh, Jamie and I, we, as we were traveling, we flew into Chicago and we, we drove up from Chicago to Wisconsin to be with her, her mom. I was listening to, a, to an audio book uh, while we were driving and it's, the title of the book is Praying Like Monks living like fools. It's just about having a prayerful life and then living that out. I had a friend that recommended it to me and I had been waiting to, to try to listen to it. And during the, during the one of the chapters I was listening to, the man, the man said, if you struggle with prayer, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to just sit each morning and set, your, set a timer on your watch for two minutes and just sit there with your hands held out and just say, Lord, I want to speak to you because we have to believe the Lord wants to speak to us. So that, that went through my mind and I was standing here like, okay, Lord, is that what you want me to do? And then, and then I had a second thought that came through my mind and Pastor Frank Good, I appreciate so much you regularly speaking into my life and something you said came to mind while I was standing here yesterday and you've told me, you said, sometimes you just need to preach a sermon a second time. Both of those thoughts went through my mind while I was struggling to go through my sermon. And so I, I went and I sat down, the chair right in front of you, Miss Ellen. I sat down there and I set a timer for five minutes on my phone. And I, I went like this with my hands and I closed my eyes and I just said, Lord, I would just love to hear what you're trying to say. I don't know, how I had my eyes closed, so I don't know how long it was, but it was, it was a while, and I didn't feel like I had heard anything from the Lord, and so then, uh, you know how you try to talk for the Lord? So I'm like, well, I've been, I've been in the Psalms, and I know that those, those Psalms have really been meaningful to me. Maybe the Lord is, is moving me to share a Psalm with the church, and, and um, Lord, is that what you want me to preach tomorrow? And I didn't, didn't feel like that was at all. I felt like I was speaking for the Lord. 
So I know, that you're gonna, I know this is going to sound foolish to you and, and maybe even creepy to some of you. But I, I sat there with my hands open and I said, okay, Lord, do you want me to preach from Genesis? Exodus? Leviticus? Like, I didn't know what he was trying to do, and I, but I was just listening. I just had my hands open and listening for whatever he wanted. And I got through the, all the books of the Old Testament and like nothing. And I got into the New Testament and paused like, okay, Lord, this is, I got Matthew, Mark, Luke. And when I got to Luke, something happened. I kind of felt like it was me. I go, okay, so I went on to John and Lord Acts, kept coming back to Luke. And I felt like by the time I got done there sitting there and I opened up my eyes and, and that the timer had gone off long, long ago. And I said, Lord, okay, you want me to preach from Luke today? Okay. But I don't know what to, pre- I'm not prepared to preach from Luke. I have no idea what you want me to preach. And then that thought, Pastor Frank, came back to my mind where you had said, Sometimes you just need to preach a sermon a second time. So I, I know this is going to sound like, like I didn't prepare for you today, and that's not true. So I went to my computer that has all of my sermon outlines, and I just typed in Luke, thinking it would bring up all the sermons that I have ever preached from the book of Luke, and, and it did, and Boy, I, I tell you, it wasn't one I was looking for, but the first one that grabbed my attention was a sermon that I've preached here before. In fact, it was the very first sermon I ever preached at Mount Carmel. And I, I opened up the file, and the very first thing that was outlined in black, highlighted in black, came Luke, Luke 6. And I was like, okay, Lord, you want me to preach the sermon, the very first sermon I ever preached at Mount Carmel? All right, so I prepared for it as best I could with the short time that I had. And I went home, and Jamie had been working at Broad Porch yesterday, and she came home, and I was sitting at the table actually working on a very short PowerPoint for this because all I have are the verses today because I didn't have time to put in to anything else. She got home, and and she sat down, and as she was, she had grabbed something to eat, and she was scrolling through social media, and she goes, huh, hey, six years ago today, we came to Page County with the kids for the first time. And when she said that, I thought, that's the weekend I preached the very first time at Mount Carmel. Today, I'm preaching six years to the day later sermon I didn't want to be honest with you like I wasn't preparing for that I wasn't planning for this like I don't I don't want you to think that I'm not prepared to preach a brand new message from the word of God but I really feel like this is what the Lord is asking me to share today and I don't know if it's just because he wanted to do that work in me to tell me he's still talking to me or if there's somebody here that needs this I don't know. And if you're sitting there thinking, I've already heard this, you're right, and I'm sorry. Blame him, okay? So if you would, uh, join me in Luke chapter number six and verse number six. 
And if, if I get done with this sermon and you were here that first time I preached and you said, I don't remember this at all, don't feel bad, all right? And my wife doesn't remember anything either, so and <laughs> just sure many of us know people who seem to find fault in everything around them and everyone around them they complain about their job they complain about the weather they complain about politics they even complain about people who complain too much right and sometimes as i read through the gospels i get to this group called the pharisees and i like i really struggle with them because they're so critical And like, I sometimes wonder, like, how could you be so blind and so ignorant to your own spiritual condition? Like, do you not, the Son of God's in front of you, do you not get it? But as soon as I start thinking that, as, as I'm reading through the scriptures, the Lord always comes back and he reminds me, you're ignorant too. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Because, like, as I told you, I keep these lists of sermons that I've preached in the past, and there are times where I'll, I'll preach through a certain passage for example, this morning we were going to go through Galatians 5. I've actually preached a sermon from Galatians 5, verse number 7, and it is the completely wrong emphasis of the verse. But I didn't know that when I was younger. I was ignorant. And the Lord was just simply revealing that. So we're going to take a time to look at, at, at the Pharisees today, but also Jesus and also someone he heals, but like, one of my desires is, is instead of just looking at the Pharisees, I would love for us to hold up a mirror to see, as we look at the Pharisees, do I see myself? And when we get to this man that's going to have a withered hand to ask this question, do I see myself? And as we get to Jesus, the one who does this miracle, to, to simply say, do I glorify him for the work that he is really doing in lives today? So Luke chapter 6, and I do have the verses. This is, this is all I have, though, today for a PowerPoint, or just the verses. So if you, if you have a, a Bible, wonderful. If not, I'll just read it with you. I'm, we're going to read through verse 11. Luke 6, verse 6. It says, On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10. And after looking around at them, all he said, and after looking around at them all, all he said to him, and after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. We're just going to use these three people or groups of people when it comes to the Pharisees, and we're just going to look at these three as an outline this morning. And my prayer is that we would see ourselves and that we would see the glorified Savior. Lord, I, I did not ask for this. I don't know what you're doing. 
Help me to keep it together for your people. Lord, can I just deliver your message? Depending fully on your, your strength and your power today. And may we all just walk away with whatever it is that you send me here to say this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin with the law keepers, the Pharisees. Would you look back at verse number 7 with me? Verse number 7, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. And here's what I find so interesting about the Pharisees. They were in the synagogue, which would basically be the church. So that's where we are. They had their eyes on Jesus. And man, I hope that as you walked into this place today, that your eyes were on Christ. And if they are, well, but this sounds like such a good group of people, those who gathered in the place where they should be, looking at the one with whom they should be looking. And, and it seems like that's such a great description, and yet we, we, we know that the Pharisees have such a terrible reputation throughout the Scriptures. But, but they're here, they're where they should be, looking at who they should be. They're, they're, they memorize the, the book of the law. They, they obey the law of Moses so regularly. What could be wrong with a group of people like this? But we see as they're described in verse number seven, yeah, they walked into the synagogue. But why? They watched him. But why? And it says so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Huh. Wait a second. They, they walked into the synagogue and they were looking at the Son of God and their whole purpose there was so that they might find a reason to accuse him? Uh, that sounds as if they were in the right place, but their heart sure wasn't. And they were watching the right person, but their heart wasn't looking at him for the right reason. They weren't looking to learn from him because we see in verse number six, Jesus walked into the synagogue to sit and teach. And you know what he was going to teach? He was going to teach the word of God. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? Jesus, who's called the word of God in John 1, the word of God is holding the word of God, teaching the word of God. Ha! Does it get any better than that? But they looked right past him. They weren't listening for the truth. They were looking to accuse him. They're looking to criticize him. It seems as if the, the very last thing on the mind of those who came to the right place was to learn about God. Why'd you come to church today? You know, there's people all around the world today who stepped into houses of God for the wrong reason. There's people who may be here today, but I promise you, if we were to go through all the churches in the world there, there are people here today and the sole reason for walking into the place the house of god although i know our bodies are the temple i understand that but you understand, i hope you know what i mean the gathering of the body came today so that people would see us 
came today so we wouldn't feel guilty. Came today because, well, if I go, I, I sure hope God will bless me. And if I don't go, he won't bless me. So even though I don't really want to go, I'm going to go because I'm supposed to. Have you ever opened up the very word of God? Maybe read a couple verses or a chapter and then shut the very word of God and as you walked away, if someone were to ask you, what did you just read? You would have to say, you'd have to honestly admit, I don't even remember. You just closed it. You literally just closed the Bible and you can't remember what the word of God said to you? Then the mask. Why did you read it? Well, because it's what we're supposed to do. Do you think that's what God wants? He just wants obedient people. Always doing whatever he says to do without a heart that says, I want you. I want to hear from you today. I think so often as, as Christians, and the, the, the mirror starts to come up as soon as I say this, because it's more about me than it is about you, but as, as Christians, so often our gathering together of believers is, is about what, what will I get out of it? As opposed to, I can't wait to join with brothers and sisters to praise our King. I have no doubt that there have been times, and I'm saying this because this is true of me, right? I'm not saying you, but I have no doubt there are times where good Christians have walked out of church and they remembered the words of man more than the word of God. Meaning if somebody said, hey, that's a really nice outfit, you walk out feeling good that someone complimented you on your outfit when the whole purpose was they're going to gather around the word of God to hear what he has to say to us. To, hear, to be reminded of what the good news of the gospel is, that God loved us so much. He pursued us with a Messiah, and that Messiah was his son who willingly went to the cross to give his life so that we could be restored into fellowship with the God that we rebelled against. That's good news. But we're more excited sometimes that someone said, nice shoes. I really like those. Those are really, did, are those new? Yes, they are. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> no, no, no. We didn't come today to show off our clothes. We didn't come today to show off our shoes. We didn't come today to show off our new hairdo, although I don't get to do that anymore, right? Uh, like we came today for one reason, for Jesus and his glory. But when we don't come for those reasons, man, we could be just like these Pharisees. When we come with critical spirits, and we find that our, our lives have become consumed with criticism of, of people and of things and of so much, we have to understand the truth. And I don't know where the, where the, where, where the phrase came from or the quote came from, but I, I've never forgotten it. A critical spirit is a spirit in critical condition. A critical spirit, and if you have one, you have to understand, a critical spirit is a spirit that is in critical condition because you're no longer seeing what God wants you to see. You're seeing what matters to you. Oh, no, no, no. It's about him. 
I recently read the story of a, of a former Dallas Cowboys player. His name is David Simmons, and most of you would never have heard of him, but David Simmons had a story of him coming to Christ, and as he told of his, his growing up, he talked about how his father was so brutally mean to him. He said, my dad never let me enjoy an accomplishment because he always said there's more to accomplish. Can't enjoy this one. Just go on to the next one. He said when he was a young boy, his dad gave him a bike unassembled and said, put it together. And when he couldn't, his dad came back to him and his words were, David Simmons said, I was in tears because I couldn't figure it out. And his dad walked up to him and said, I knew you couldn't do it. And he put it together for him and handed it to him. He became an all-star in, in football, and yet he said most, most of the kids had butterflies in their stomach before the game. He said, for me, the butterflies came after the game on my way home because I knew my dad was going to criticize me for every wrong move I made. When he chose what college to go play in, he said he had scholarships from so many universities, but he chose the one farthest from home. He was drafted by what was then the St. Louis Cardinals. They were then became the St. Louis Rams and now the Arizona Cardinals, I think. I don't remember. But they were, he, was, he was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the second round when he called his dad to tell him the good news that he had been drafted in the second round by an NFL team, meaning he's one of the top 50 players in the country. His dad said, well, son, how does it feel to be second? And then he talked about how he just did not want to have any relationship with his father whatsoever. But he eventually, David Simmons eventually came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, he was convicted about this broken relationship with his father. So he purposely started to try to mend that relationship. And he would sit down with his dad and he said, it was in these conversations after I came to Christ where my dad opened up to me about the way his father had treated him. His father used to beat him. His father took a sledgehammer to his car. And he said it was listening to my own dad's experiences that I began to understand my dad more and have compassion on this man who was a critical spirit. But you have to think if David Simmons had not come to the Lord, he would have just continued this perpetual movement of criticism and hatred. And it's Jesus that made the difference. Critical spirits often have brokenness that can't be fixed without the healer of brokenness. That's why Jesus tells us, hey, stop, stop trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye. You have a beam in your own. <laughs> we have to look inside of our own hearts and our, our own minds. I read that and I, I thought, after reading that passage about, or that story about David Simmons, I thought, man, I, I need just to be a more kind person. We all do. We need to be more kind, more humble, less prideful. And again, I don't know who made the quote. It's not original. I, I'm just sharing it. But pride is the only disease that bothers everyone except the person that has it. It's the only disease, pride, that bothers everyone except the person that has it. And it doesn't bother the person that has it because they can't see that they do. 
Well, I hope that as we gather as believers, that we come humbly to listen and to worship King. Because Jesus was teaching, but they weren't listening. I'm turning your attention now in verse 8 to Jesus. It says in verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he stood there. So I love how it begins with he knows their thoughts. And so it's like, it's like he's teaching. And I don't know if the Pharisees came in, if they followed this man with the withered hand, if he came in to be healed by Jesus. I don't know the storyline. So, so we're just taking a guess on whether they were already in or whether they walked in. But at some point, he knew that these people who had gathered in the synagogue and were listening to the word of God being taught, they weren't there to learn. And so he stops. Isn't that cool? He doesn't just keep teaching. Like there have been times where I have been preaching on a Sunday morning and I know I see people go to sleep, right? Like they just zone out. They are gone. Some people have worked all night long and they're here and they're just tired. And for the fact that they're here is wonderful. I applaud that. Others, you know, we just stayed up late watching a movie the night before. But I don't stop and be like, hey, hey, Jamie, wake up again. <laughs> I got, sorry, picking on her today. Sorry, can I go home with someone today? Uh, yeah. I don't stop and just say, wake up. But Jesus, like, he doesn't go on because he knows they're, they're not here to learn. So I am, I am going to speak to them. So he turns his full attention to this group of Pharisees that had come into the place where they should be, listening to the person they should listen to, but have no desire to learn. And he says to them in verse number nine, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, this is a tough question because, like, here, here's what we have to understand, right? In the Jewish days, the Sabbath was all about resting on God. It was set in place because when the Israelites came to be chosen by God, he said, I don't want you to live like everybody else. I'm going to give you some strange laws of diet. We don't have to follow those diet laws today because that was for Israel. I'm going to give you this strange law of the Sabbath. And the reason he did this, I don't want you to be like everybody else. They're going to work seven days a week to try to get all they can. I want you to show those around you will work six days a week. Rest on me for the seventh and I will bless you with more than what they can accomplish in seven days. And so Jesus asks this really compelling question though. On the Sabbath, they couldn't do certain works, but, but these works had grown larger and larger and larger. And I know this is going to sound foolish to you, but as you could understand, many of the houses back then would have been built on dirt floors. And so it was actually against the law to move a chair on the Sabbath. Why? Because if you moved a chair along the floor, it would be stirring up dust which is plowing and we can't plow on the Sabbath 
You look at that, you go, that, that's, that's so foolish. And I think God, I, I really believe God says that that's foolish too. God didn't set up the Sabbath so we couldn't move a chair. He set up the Sabbath so you wouldn't go out and try to work even more on a seventh day than you could if you just rested in his work for us. We don't follow the Sabbath today. We don't work, 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 and then finally get some rest. No, no, no. We come on the first day of the week. We find rest in the work of Jesus. We look at his work. We find rest on this first day of the week. And after we find rest, we go to work out of the rest he's provided for us. But these Pharisees are, are faced with this question, can you do good on the Sabbath or not? And I love how Jesus just steps right in to their questions. Do you want God to do something good for you on a day like this or not? What I think we sometimes lose is that every priest in Israel had to work on the Sabbath. So it wasn't as if work was wrong because every priest had to go perform the sacrifices and take care of the rituals as the people came to enjoy the Sabbath. The priests had to go work. Jesus is the high priest. And he has a very good work to do. So he was asking them, do you think it's okay if, if, if I do something good on your day of burdensome rest? You know, I think sometimes the church faces these same struggles today. I really feel like the church is meant to add to our lives and yet many people look at the church as a burden to their life. Not oh, Sunday. Can't, can't go away for the weekend. Got to go to church. Oh, it's Sunday, and I know I'm, I'm just going to talk about giving money again. And like, I don't even have enough money to give. It's such a burden. I don't really want to go, but I know if I don't go, God's not going to bless me. Although that's really not the way God works. You understand that? He doesn't bless us because we come to church. We come to church because he's blessed us, right? But what happens then is, is we become this group of people that we've already looked at the Pharisees and, and our hearts have, have looked at something that is meant to find joy and peace and rest as we come and we're like, look at what God did for us. And we celebrate that, and we rejoice in that, we worship in that, and then we prepare ourselves to go out and work for him. See, I think sometimes we, we get this idea that serving the Lord is a burden, and when serving the Lord becomes more of a burden than a blessing, then the question that must be asked is, who are you really serving? Are we really trying to do good here? Are we allowing the Lord to work? Or are we just, is it about us? And I think as the Sabbath pointed to the rest that came after the work, our gathering as believers must point us to the rest that we have in Jesus. We can't make ourselves right with God. He's done that for us. 
We celebrate. We don't look at Sunday as a burden that says, I can or I can't. It's I get to. I know many people will leave church on Sundays and think to themselves, I don't know, I just didn't feel it today. I, I don't know, nobody even spoke to me today. I, I had a nice outfit on and nobody even complimented me today. Right? I wonder how different, I wonder how different your Sunday experience with the body of Christ would be. How, how different would it be if before you left your car, you thought, Today, I'm not going to wait for someone to reach into my life. I'm going to reach out into someone else's life. I'm not going to wait for someone to say, hey, great to see you. I'm going to say to as many people as I can on Sunday morning, it is so good to see you. I mentioned two weeks ago about that church that had a five-by-five rule. If someone walks within five feet of you, speak to them. If someone, spend, spend the first five minutes after church speaking to someone you don't know. I read that, I'm like, I love that. That is a church that is coming together, not for themselves, but for one another. Oh, please, don't leave today. Without being the encouragement to someone else that you wish someone would be to you. It's amazing the type of blessing we can be when we're willing to do that. Now, I have a pastor who is a, I have a friend who's a, who's a missions pastor, and they just finished up a missions conference, and he told me about how they closed the last service. He said, the Lord just told me while I was standing there, this is what I want you to do. And he said, he said, I told everybody, don't leave until you tell your story. Because it's, it's about how Christ brought everyone to himself don't leave until you tell someone else that you don't know tell them your story and he said he said as soon as i said that i could see the looks on people's faces like oh i'm not gonna do that he said i prayed and while i prayed i watched the people that i knew wouldn't do that slip out the door so they wouldn't have to be there when i say amen and they wouldn't have to talk to anybody and tell them their story He said, our worship pastor came up to me afterwards and said, man, I did not want to do that. When I heard that, my first thought was, oh, I don't want to do this. He said, but then I I ended up speaking to an 80-year-old Vietnam veteran, and he told me the story of his life and coming to Christ. And he said, as I sat there, I began to weep as I listened to how God worked in his life. And this man was weeping as he told this pastor about how God brought him to himself. And he said, we hugged after it was over, and we walked out, and he said, Scott, thank you so much for having us share our stories with one another. So you have people who who did that, and then you had people who slipped out the back door. Which one do you think left with more of a blessing? Maybe our thoughts, instead of waiting to be blessed when we come together, should be, I'm going to go to be a blessing to someone today. And then finally, Jesus doesn't let these critics stop him from doing the work the Father's called him to do. The better, can I, can I do some good on the Sabbath? I don't really care what you have to say. Watch me. And he turns his attention in verse number 10 to that man. Remember, in, I think it was in verse 8, right? He called the man to stand up there in the middle. Uh yeah, in verse 8, he made him stand up. 
So while this man is standing in the middle of the room, he's, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. The man's just standing there like, this is awkward. I'm just standing here. Everybody's looking at me. And now, Jesus turns his attention back to the man. It says, and after looking around at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. Like, I don't know if this man, I don't know if this man knew Jesus had healed a lot of people, but my guess is he pretty much had this idea. And I don't know if he showed up in the synagogue that day to be healed by Jesus, but my guess is he was really hoping that something like this might happen. This guy's healed. I'd love for it to be me next. And Jesus says to him, hey man, everybody can see you. I've put you in the middle of the synagogue and every eye is fixed on you. Hey, pal, stretch out your hand. And while Jesus instructs him to stretch out his hand, what Jesus doesn't do is instruct him which hand to stretch out. Here is where the gospel hits home. See, either we come and stand in the presence of Jesus and we walk away restored or we can, we can stand in the presence of Jesus and we can leave the same way we came in. The question is, do I show my weakness or do I hide it? Because you know what this man could have done? Stretch out your hand? Sure. Well, I have one hand that's withered. I'm going to hide that one. So I'm going to show everybody my good hand. Look, look at it. I have a good hand. You can't see my weakness. You can't see my failure. You can't see my brokenness. So I'm just going to hide that. I'm going to show you my good hand. And let me ask you something. Do you think Jesus would have been impressed with this man's good hand? He made it. He formed it in the womb. There's nothing that this man could have given, could have shown Jesus that would have impressed him. And there's nothing you and I can set in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, look at what I've done for you. There's nothing that will impress him. Nothing. So we don't come and we're not called into the presence of Jesus so that we could show him something. No, no, he calls us into his presence so he can show us something. His restoring power. But we have to be willing not to hide the weakness. We have to be willing to say, ah, this is really going to be hard and difficult. But as everybody's looking, I'll show you my crippled Hand, But as he reached that crippled hand out to Jesus, the power of Christ worked to restore that man's hand. Man, do we make each other think we're super Christians when we're not. How many times I have walked in here on a Sunday and I have done this with a crippled hand. I have hid it in my pocket while I have walked around and you ask me how are things going and my standard answer is never better. Yes, they have been better. I promise you that. 
but I'm not going to show you. I'm going to hide that. How you doing, Pastor? Oh, man. God's so good. And yes, God is so good. But I'm saying that while I'm hiding the brokenness. And you walk in here and people ask, how are you doing? You know our standard answer is fine. We're not fine, are we? We're all broken. We all come in here holding onto the pieces of our life as we drop a trail behind us because we are so broken. And yet we come here at the body of Christ that he has assembled for us. And when someone says, how are you? Our answer is always, I will mask the bad and tell you I'm doing good. That never impresses Christ. He has sent people into our lives to help us with the brokenness, but when we hide it, we will never find the restoration that we need. Man, I am... I'm a broken man. You're a broken man or a woman. Then I guess the question is, what do we do about that? Well, I really, I really think like we have, I really think we have three options here. And I, I have no idea, I have no idea how this sermon is going to close because I wasn't planning to preach it. And I don't have some clothes. All I thought when I was here yesterday is, Lord, you're going to have to just do what you want to do. And all I could think of is there's three ways to close this. We could pray and we can leave. I don't, I don't think that helps anything. We can ask everyone to bow their heads and we can, we can say, and I can ask how many of you are broken and you could raise your hand and you could admit your brokenness. And I think that's an important first step. I'm not okay. I'm, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I have a withered hand. And I think, there's, I think that's really helpful for us to get to that point where we admit it. But I really, feel like what, I really feel like what the Lord wants us to do as a church is to be what we've been called to be for one another. To weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to step into one another's lives. And when someone is broken, then someone can come alongside them and say, I've been broken too, or I am broken too. Can we lean on one another as we go to Christ with this brokenness? First of all, I don't want you to leave if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know what Jesus has done for you and invites you into partnering together with him, but, but none of this is going to work. Jesus is the one who came to save you from your sins. It's just a trust. It's just a trust in him. I will follow you with my life. Can't do this on my own. I turn to you because I can't do this on my own. I trust in who you are. I trust in what you've done.
They, we can't go on if that's not where we're at. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus as the Messiah that God sent to save the world from their sins and restore to a relationship with him, you can't leave today without doing that. It's a first step. But man, if you have done that, if you have placed your full trust in who Christ is and what Christ has done for you, and then he calls us to go be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus to others. We can't miss that. We can't just ignore that. So here's, I don't, I don't even know how to do this, but here's what, what I'm going to ask today. In just a moment, I'm going to ask if there's anyone here without bowing our heads, without closing our eyes, just like Jesus called that man up to the middle of the synagogue, I'm just going to ask, is there anyone here who's broken like me? And if it is, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and acknowledge, yes, I am. I'm broken just like you, pastor. I'm broken and I need Jesus. Okay, well, let's do it now then, all right? How many of you are broken and you need Jesus? There's a part of your life that is broken. Okay. You see, you just keep them up, keep them up. This isn't like, we don't have to be quiet about this. This isn't a secret, right? We're all broken. Look how many hands are, turn around and look how many hands are up in this room. Look at that. Look at the brokenness around us, right? Okay. Then what I, my desire is, is for us just to maybe gather in groups of two, three, four, five, six, just acknowledge. I'm not, when I say acknowledge, I don't mean confess. You don't have to confess your sin to someone else. But acknowledge our brokenness and spend a time in prayer showing Christ our withered hand and asking him to bring the healing that only he could bring. I don't, I don't know why he asked me to preach this sermon. I don't know why, but I'm convinced he did. But I would love for you, whether it's someone near you, whether it's someone across the, 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 the auditorium from you, if there's someone that you'd like to pray with, I'd love for you to gather with them in just a moment. And Miss Carolyn, we, I have music to play. You're, you're free to go about and pray. I don't want you stuck at a piano. I just don't, please, please don't just leave. Please don't just leave. You, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can just leave, but please don't. Please come to be a blessing to someone else and gather and pray with whomever the Lord leads. And however long you stay and pray together, wonderful. The invitation is simply, would you find someone who has a withered hand and would you walk with them to Jesus? I need it. And if you're one that didn't raise your hand because you don't have brokenness, man, praise the Lord. That makes you whole to go find someone who is. I guess my heart is just, let's just be the church to one another this morning. I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'm just going to ask if, if Trent, if you'll just play that music and then let's just be a church of broken people who walk to the one who heals brokenness. God, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a clue. There's maybe one person in here that you 